Would you turn your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 16th chapter. 1 Corinthians, chapter 16. The key verse to this chapter is verse 9. We will be referring to many other verses in this passage, so please keep your Bible open to 1 Corinthians 16. May we bow together in a moment of prayer. Our Father, we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us today in this study of the Word of God. We thank you for all the beautiful songs and the melodies and the impact of God's people meeting together. We pray now that the Holy Spirit will open the Word to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, I want to read verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. And it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey wherever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. I wish you would mark that verse in your Bible. This lets us in on some of the most personal feelings of Paul's heart in the entire book of 1 Corinthians. We have been studying this book chapter by chapter. We will continue at the training union hour tonight as we study chapter 7. Last Sunday morning, Brother Robert Oldham brought a message from the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians on resurrection realities. I think we've spoken and covered each of the chapters in this book. But today, chapter 16, and the heart of that chapter is verse 9. Paul has been in Ephesus. A little bit later in this chapter, he says, the churches of Asia Minor salute you. You remember that Corinth was located in Europe. Corinth was one of those first churches on the European continent to be constituted. When Paul had crossed from Asia Minor across the Aegean Sea, he first went to Philippi, and then to Thessalonica, Athens, and then Corinth. And it was at Corinth that he founded that, that church right in the seat of Satan's worship and, and a temple, all kinds of paganism and immorality. And the study of 1 Corinthians is the study of how that church accommodated itself in the midst of all the tyranny and paganism of the city of Corinth. Acts 8, chapter 18 is the study of the founding of the Corinthian church. We do not have time this morning to look at that chapter, but it's interesting to see how Paul went to Corinth and founded that work and how God used him there. But the Corinthian church and the Corinthian Christians had not grown as Paul had desired and prayed. 
Rather, they were carnal Christians. The key, as a matter of fact, to understanding the entire book of 1 Corinthians is chapter 3. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with solid food, for to this time you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. And then he goes on to discuss the carnality of the Corinthian Christians. He has written to this church, this little book of 1 Corinthians, and he deals with all kinds of problems. All of us could wish that the Corinthian church were a spiritual church. But almost selfishly, we would say, Lord, thank you that there was a carnal church there because Paul had to deal with all these problems, and had he not dealt with them, we wouldn't know how to deal with them today. In chapter 1, for example, he deals with the division over leadership. In chapter 4, the neglect of God's servants. In chapter 5, immorality in the church. Chapter 6, Christians taking one another to law. Chapter 7, confusion over marriage and sex. Chapter 8, confusion over the principle of influence, eating meat and so on. Chapter 11, the confusion over the Lord's Supper. Chapters 12 through 14, confusion over the spiritual gifts, the healing and speaking in tongues and so on. Chapter 15, the confusion about the resurrection. There were some that didn't even believe in the resurrection of the body or the resurrection of Jesus. And Paul wrote the entire 15th chapter to deal with that. Now in chapter 16, he speaks of coming there from Ephesus. But in verse 8, he says, I've decided I'm going to stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. And there are some reasons I'm going to stay in, in Ephesus. And the reason is verse 9. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Matthew Henry, one of the great Bible expositors of all times, has said this concerning that passage of Scripture. God gave Paul some great successes and a prospect for even more success in the city of Ephesus. And a great door was opened. And there are many adversaries. Notice that word and instead of but. You would almost expect him to say, a great door and effectual is open to me, but there are many adversaries. He doesn't say that at all. He says, there's a great door opened unto me, a great opportunity to serve the Lord, and there are many adversaries, and that's one of the reasons I'm going to stay in Ephesus. Great success in the work of the gospel often creates enemies. The devil opposes those most who most heartily set themselves to destroy his kingdom of darkness. There are many adversaries, therefore, therefore the apostle determined to stay in Ephesus. True courage is often wetted by opposition. The opposition only animated his zeal. Adversaries in opposition do not break the spirit of the faithful minister, but rather kindle their zeal. I might say that often opposition 
and adversaries do not break the spirit of God's people but rather kindle that zeal to go on in the Lord's work to labor in vain is heartless and discouraging this dampens the spirit and breaks the heart having those around us who will help help with the work gives life vigor and I want you to notice this that Matthew Henry said it is not the opposition of the enemy but the hardness of his hearers and the backslidings of professors those who profess to be saved but backslide and get into all kinds of sin this is the thing that dampens and discourages the faithful minister and burdens his heart I suppose the most heartbreaking experience that a man of God can have is for people over whom he has labored to whom he has preached for a period of time to go into backsliding backsliding and into gross sin and forget who they were they've been bought by the blood redeemed by the blood of Christ and they live like the world and Paul says one of the reasons I'm going to stay in Ephesus there's a great door and effectual opened and there are many adversaries the adversaries were those on the outside who opposed the spread of the gospel and the work of the gospel the adversaries were the devil and all the demons of hell who tried to stop the work but apparently at Ephesus the adversaries were not within the church they were outside and somebody has said not all the water in the world can sink a ship unless it gets inside and the most insidious dangers that come to a church are not the ridicule and criticism that comes from the outside but when Satan gets into the people on the inside and begins to take their eyes off of God and destroys their spiritual anchoring and mooring and they go down in spiritual defeat and that's the thing that hurts the influence of a church there have been times in our work with Western University students when the College Herald was critical of our church they wrote editorials about young people going up and knocking on doors and collaring people and talking to them about Jesus and did you know that during that time when so much ridicule was aimed at this church that many university students were being saved and there were many coming and right now there's not much criticism Paul said I've decided to stay at Ephesus because here there's a great door and effectual opened unto me and there are many adversaries the adversary the devil works most when the work of God is in the hearts of God's people and they're concerned and doing something about the gospel in this chapter Paul speaks of the great door and effectual opened at Ephesus and this is he says this is the reason I'm going to stay and he discusses four areas that he has in mind and if we read between the lines in this chapter you cannot escape feeling that 
You see, he has been almost ethereal in chapter 15 talking about the resurrection. And he mounts up with wings and eloquence. And then in chapter 16, he just comes banging down on the ground with nothing but practical applications. And the key to understanding this chapter is verse 9 where he says, I've decided to stay in Ephesus. There's a great door and effectual opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And then he writes to the Corinthians in the closing words of this book, four areas as we read between the lines that I think he's, he's attempting to move on the hearts of the Corinthian Christians to say, if you will let these four things be true in your life, there will be a great door and effectual open there. And this is the reason we have such a great door and effectual open in Ephesus. Here they are. Verses 1 and 2, sufficient funds. Verses 10 and 11, 15 to 18, serious companionship in the gospel. Verses 13 to 14, the stance of loyalty and faithfulness on the part of the people. And verse 22, a total sellout to the Lord of glory. Let's look at these for a moment. Verses 1 and 2. He says, here at Ephesus, there's a great door and effectual opened unto me. And it's almost as if he were trumpeting a message to say at Corinth, the same thing can be true if there will be, number one, sufficient funds. Notice this, now concerning the collection for the saints. As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Paul says it takes money to do the work of the Lord. It takes money. It takes money. Christians at Ephesus were not wealthy. The Christians at Corinth were not wealthy. Paul never built his ministry on some wealthy people. He said, here's how to do it. Upon the first day of the week, Sunday, let every one of you, not just deacons, not just Sunday school teachers, not just adults, not just those who have big jobs, but every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. If I understand that passage correctly, it, it speaks <clears throat> to every Christian, every member of the church, boys and girls in the junior and primary department, when you become a Christian, you give your heart to Jesus, and then you come and confess Christ openly, and you follow him in baptism, you become a member of his church. Some of you have been saved, but you have not yet been baptized. Not until baptism are you actually a member of the church. Church membership doesn't get you anywhere with God unless first there's a conversion experience and you're saved and Jesus is living in your heart. But when once he comes into your heart and he lives there, and then you confess that openly in baptism, you become a member of the church. And as a member of the church, you have certain responsibilities. Among them is to learn how to behave in the house of God, not to run in the building, and not to bump each other, to sit in church and listen to God's Word, not talk and all those things. Those are important things, but those are elementary things. The next thing God wants you to do, He wants you to learn how to give your funds. You say, well, I don't have very much to give. God wants 10% of everything you have. 
If you get a dime, one penny of it belongs to God. You get a dollar, ten cents of that belongs to God. You get ten dollars, ten, one dollar of that belongs to God. You get a hundred dollars, ten of that belongs to God. On the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. And beloved, if we'll do it God's way, there'll be sufficient funds. Paul says one of the keys to an open door and effectual is that we have the sufficient funds to do the work that God told us to do. It takes money to operate the work of the Lord. It takes money to pay the bills, pay the electricity bills, the utility. It takes money to put paint on the walls, to put carpet down, as some have been doing. It takes money to take care of staff members. It takes money to send missionaries across the seas. And do you know there are some people who would like to be part of a church that never spoke of money, never had to take an offering. But Paul said, if you want to be part of a church that has a great and effectual door, then upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, choir members, ushers, Children, teenagers, university, adults, all of us lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. That there be no gatherings when I come, be no embarrassment to the church, to the work of the Lord. I think the Holy Spirit is leading Paul there to refer back to Malachi 3.10. Bring ye all the tithe into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And tithing and giving God's way is a faith measure. It hasn't anything to do with how much money we have. Not anything. It has totally to do with how much faith we have. You have $10, a dollar that belongs to God, and you live on the nine-tenths, and you say, Lord, you know my condition better than I know it. If I figure out how to do it, I can't spend that extra dollar on the work of the Lord. I need it. God says, you give it to me, and I'll multiply the nine-tenths. And you see, that's a faith measure. And God is waiting for a people with great faith, not people with great resources, but people with great faith. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, I've decided to stay at Ephesus till Pentecost. There's a great door and effectual opened. The same thing can happen at Corinth if you do what God says to do. And when he writes his second letter to Corinth in chapters 8 and 9, he outlines principles of stewardship that are worthwhile studying. Now, secondly, in verses 10 and 11, And verses 15 to 18, notice this. Now if Timothy come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I do also. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me. For I look for him with the brethren. And then verses 15 to 18, And I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that is the firstfruits of Achaia, that they have devoted themselves to the ministry of the saints. 
that ye submit yourselves unto such and every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus, Fortunatus and Achaeus, and uh, for that which was lacking on your part they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge them that are such. I think the second thing Paul is saying concerning that great and effectual door that is open at Ephesus, and he says the same thing can be true at Corinth. Not only will there have to be sufficient funds, but secondly, there has to be serious companionship in the gospel. It is hard to go it alone. Paul said, I'm not doing this alone. Timothy is with me. And he mentions some others who've been in the work with me. He says, I, I commend them to you. Now, here at Ephesus, they've been treated royally. Over at Corinth, you treat them royally. There needs to be companionship in the work. Serious companionship. Here at Glendale, I thank God for our staff, for those who serve in the office, Mrs. Paisley, Ms. Retha Clevenger, Mrs. Oates, Ms. Carol Peacher in our elementary work and the school work, Brother Jim Yates and all the teachers, Brother Jim in our music and all the teachers in the school, Brother Johnny Deacons in our bus ministry, in the outreach and the mission. Brethren, the work that God has given us demands additional staff members, companions in the labor companionship in the labor. We need a church administrator who will stand in and help get the administration of this work, the great work God has given us to do, we, going like it needs to go. We need a church administrator. We need a full-time maintenance man, custodian, who will oversee keeping this building clean and in good repair. We need a youth director who will help us produce the finest youth program in this city. Companionship in the labor, it's hard to go alone. God has given us a great work to do. And, and Paul said, over here at Ephesus, we have serious companions in the labor. Over at Corinth, you need to do the same thing. There'll be a great door and effectual open there if there's sufficient funds and serious companionship in the work. People who'll take the work and go with it. Thirdly, verses 13 to 14. Notice this, watch, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong, let all your things be done with love. There are four military terms used here, and then Paul changes his stance a little bit. He gives us five imperatives in those two verses. First of all, watch. In the military, there are men who stand on duty just to watch. We have a watch line. There's some men in our church who used to fly the dew line across the north to watch in the furthest outmost places to be sure that the Russians or some enemy did not come on us 
unaware. In army camps, there's, a, there's some that stand watch during the night. Paul says, in the church, watch. We need men and women who will watch for the devil, who will watch for the adversaries, who will watch, stand watch, be on guard. If we're to have a great door effectual, we need these kind. Secondly, stand fast. That's another military term, stand fast. You can't be mealy-mouthed. You can't fault every wind of doctrine that blows. There has never been a time in all the history of Christendom when we've had more winds of cultism blowing against the Lord's work than there have been in recent years. People who can't understand the Trinity, so they invent a doctrine that explains away the Trinity. People can't understand the real spiritual work of the Holy Spirit, so they invent doctrines that fake that work of the Holy Spirit. People who can't understand how you're saved forever by the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin, so therefore they invent doctrines that explain it away and say you're not saved forever. You can be saved four, five, or six, or ten times. Paul says, Corinth, stand fast. In the faith, stand fast in, fast in your doctrine. Stand fast in those things that are real. Thirdly, he uses another imperative. Quit you like men. Put on the armor. Be like men, not melia mouths, not mice. Stand there as men in the military. We, we send in our Marines in the early parts of invasions. And those Marines have to receive strenuous treatment, strenuous training. Some of you have been Marines. Our military men, all, I hope it's still true, but all used to receive strenuous training to be like men in the face of the Goliaths that would gobble up liberty. Paul says that's what we need in Christians. We need some young junior boys and girls and primary boys and girls and teenagers and adults who stand and quit you like men. Will not just be wishy-washy, but will be strong in the battle. And then he uses that term, be strong. Exercise your muscles spiritually. The only way you can ever develop muscles is to exercise. The only way you can learn to play ball is to play ball. The only way to learn to swim is to swim. The only way to learn to drive on ice is to drive on ice, incidentally. Don't be afraid of it. Just don't use your brakes. Gear it down with your gear. Just learn how. And then he closes. He says, be strong. Be strong in the work that God has given you to do. Don't give up the ship. Don't have a quititis attitude. Be strong in the assignment that God has given you to do, Corinth. And then he caps it all off. He doesn't use a military term next. The fifth term in verse 14. He says, with all the things I've asked you to do, do it all with love. 
Do it all with love. You cannot fight Satan, the battles with Satan, with Satan's tactics. You have to use God's plan. Do it with love. Do it with love. I want to appeal to God's dear people at this place to accept those terms. Go home and study it this afternoon. Ask God's Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. We have people that fall for anything. They don't stand for convictions. They don't stand for things they know to be right. We have a whole generation of people that live by feelings. If it feels good, do it. God never told anybody to do that. There is not one word of Scripture that tells a Christian to live by feelings. If you like going to church, go. If you don't, stay home. If you like having sex outside of marriage, do it. It's fun. If you don't, leave it off. God never said that. God said there are some prohibitions. Be strong. Build your life on the word and work and word of God. God will bless you for it. Then last of all, he says to these Corinthian Christians in verse 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. The word anathema means cursed. Maranatha means the Lord is at hand. Now I take from that verse, and maybe I take a little bit of liberty, I think what Paul is really saying is be totally sold out to Jesus Christ. Sell out to the Lord. Give Him all you have. If you don't love the Lord, quit faking it. Quit being a pretender. Come out with what you really are. If you do love the Lord, remember the Lord is at hand. He's on his way. He's even at the door. He's coming again. I don't know when. I don't know the hour. Maranatha, Maranatha. The Lord is at hand. Jesus is coming again in light of his glorious coming. Sell out to the Lord. Nothing short of a total sell out to the Lord of glory is sufficient in times like these. Nothing. And the whole thrust of 1 Corinthians 16 is the thrust Give it all to the Lord. Give your whole life, soul, body, being, and, and all that you are, your substance. Put it on the altar for God and let Him use you and have you. And Paul says here at Ephesus, there's a great door in effectual open to me, and there are many adversaries. I want to know, have you any adversaries? Or is it possible that our life, that our work, that the work of this church is so insignificant as far as the devil is concerned that he doesn't put any adversaries up anymore? Or is it possible that there are adversaries and there's a thinning out between the men and the boys, between the women and the girls, between those who are real and those who are fakes? The Holy Spirit is saying here, Make a total sellout to the Lord of glory. Put your all on the altar. Put your voice on the altar for him. Take my voice and let me sing always only for my king. Put your talents on the altar. Lord, 
If you'll let me learn how, I'll teach a Sunday school class. I'll serve. I'll do whatever comes up. I'll drive a bus or I'll be a bus pastor. I'll serve you in various places. Oh, listen. I wish I could call us all close together as just a little family of the church and say, listen, don't be so satisfied to just come to church on Sunday morning. Come back on Sunday night. Be in training and trained to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. A lady called me on the telephone some time ago, and she had been taking lessons from the Jehovah's Witnesses, and she was asking certain things. She's a member of our church. And she said, uh, uh, you know, I just never did study this. Right? Somehow you don't teach this at Glendale. Oh, I said, we study it in training union. I said, you've had these studies. You've given your time to study with the Jehovah's Witnesses. When did you give time to come and study in training union to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed? Oh, my friend. Don't be satisfied to just come on Sunday morning. Be back at the night services. Be here on Wednesday night to pray with your church. And let it be said, there's a great door and effectual opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. The message, the one supreme message that the church has to give is that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Jesus died for our sins. He knew no, knew no sin became sin for us. And when he went to the cross, the blood came from the cross. And when they put that spear in his side, forthwith came there out water and blood, indicating he died of a broken heart over the sins of the world. Yes, but it was the blood that cleansed from sin. And if you take your sins to Jesus today, though they be scarlet, the Bible says they'll be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. May we bow together in prayer, please. Every head bowed, eyes closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank Thee for this truth from God's Word. We pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts now. That you break hearts of God's people. Oh God, call out from your people some who would say, I want to make a total sellout to Jesus Christ. I want to be, I want to place my all on the altar for his glory. Would you say that to him? God help somebody somewhere to say that to the Lord. And Father, we pray that someone who has never been saved will open his heart to Jesus. Here in this auditorium and those who listen by radio, and some who have guilt in their minds and hearts, who have been accused by the devil, Lord, help them to take that accuser to Calvary and say, Look, this is what my Savior did for me. I may have failed him, but he never failed me. And I once again plead the blood to cleanse my sins. Have thy way in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand, please? What is our song? Number 249. Please do not leave during this invitation hymn. Just remain here a moment. 249.
Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. Won't be a long invitation, but enough time for you to make your way here to the front and say by coming, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to ask the Lord to cleanse me from sin. I've, I've never been saved. I want to be saved. I've been saved, but I haven't been baptized. I need to follow my Lord in baptism. Or I've been saved, and I've had my life sort of fouled up by the devil. And I want to get back going for God. I want a great door and effectual opened for the glory of Christ. Do what Jesus tells you to do. While we just wait and pray and sing, is there somebody who ought to come today? Step out for God right now.